0: The Brit Pack is back, Simon Head and Chamat Sandu uh, bringing you all things MMA with a distinctly British flavour. We've had three long quiet weeks without a live UFC show but we are back, back, back this coming weekend with the Ultimate Fighter Latin America finale. Not a blockbuster card I'll be honest with you but it does feature a couple of interesting matchups. Most notably the event between RDA and Tony Ferguson, we will talk about that on this week's show. As we get back into the swing of things, we'll also talk about UFC 205. There are other fights on this card beside uh, Alvarez versus McGregor, so we will talk about a few of those. And UFC 206, uh, what's going on with that fight card? Does it need a little bit of uh, British uh, input? Could Michael Bisping find himself on that on that fight card? We will talk about that. We will then answer your questions, and then we will get the hell out of here for another week. Uh Sandu, my man, how are you?
1: I'm very well, sir. very well. Uh, I feel like I've got energy. I think the last couple of weeks uh, I've been battling a bit of sickness, a bit of illness and stuff like that. Uh, but I feel 100 – maybe it's been the, the three weeks of no UFC events, finally getting some rest, some well-deserved rest over the weekends. Uh, but I feel fantastic. I'm really, really excited. Uh, this time next week I'll be in New York. Uh, I, I think you'll be in New York this time next week as well, right? When do you get there?
0: I f- I get there Monday afternoon actually.
1: Monday afternoon. Yeah. So this time next week we'll both be in New York. I will get there on Saturday. I'm going out a little bit early. I have some family that I'm fortunately enough able to stay with uh, for my for my duration there for the week. And and I, and I'm buzzing. I think you know the absence of UFC events has started to kind of get that kind of energy and that kind of you know anticipation going. And I think we've got a nice little kind of almost like a teaser to to the to the, the real main event when it comes to overall cards uh, next weekend um with the uh the RDA versus Ferguson uh, fight this this weekend but yeah I can't wait it's going to be fantastic and and I'm sure we're going to get into it a lot later on but yeah always good to be back on the old Skype machine with you and talk some MMA for a while.
0: Good stuff. The one bad thing about New York I've discovered during my extensive research is there are no Nandos in New York City. I'm very disappointed. How are we
1: going to survive, mate? How are we going to survive? Two words for you.
0: Dollar pizza. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you can. There, you, there, there are websites dedicated to this. You just rock up, slice a pizza, $1. That suits me fine. I'll have dollar pizza all day long. That will keep me going. Uh, I'll be walking around with indigestion for the entire week. <laughs> right. But but I'll, I'll I'll be a happy man. It'll be good fun. But before then, as you say, we've got a little bit of an hors d'oeuvre. We've got a little bit of a, a little bit of a taster, a bit of a teaser coming up this weekend. It is the Tough Latin America finale. I'm gonna hold my hands up and admit I have not watched Tough Latin America three. I, I think am it's... shocked. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm failing in my job. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, but what we do have at the top of that card is. A very, very important fight for the UFC Lightweight Division. Uh, Rafael dos Anjos, former UFC Lightweight Champion. And I think I saw a stat today. I think he's a third or fourth all-time for wins in the Lightweight Division. He's got 14 career wins at Mm. 155 pounds. He's been around for ages. I remember when he first came onto the scene. uh, And he looked a very good, tough, compact fighter. I'll admit, I never thought he'd make it to World Championship level. uh, But he's he's certainly done that and uh, proved himself to be... An elite operator at 155. He obviously got beat by the Alvarez uh, in Vegas. He fights Tony Ferguson, uh, who's one of these rising contenders who no one, I think, really wants to fight the guy. He's just such a difficult, stylistic matchup for pretty much anyone in that lightweight division. Will the winner of this, and I guess this is is the crux of it all, we know it's a big, big contender fight. Uh, Dos Anjos is a former champion. Ferguson is on, I think, one of the longest win streaks in the division. Um, does the winner of this get a title shot bearing in mind Khabib is fighting Michael Johnson at 205 and obviously we could have rematch implications, Nate Diaz might come into the equation if McGregor wins, what happens to the winner of this fight
1: I really don't know that is the the million dollar question, I suppose in a perfect world the winner of this fight would and should get a title shot but As you know, Simon, in MMA and especially in the world of the UFC, we do not live in a perfect world. We live in a far-from-perfect world. And what's fascinating about the next couple of weekends is we've got RDA and Tony Ferguson this Saturday night, and then the following Saturday night, we've got another big, big fight in the lightweight division with Michael Johnson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. And Khabib's come out and said, you know, considering how he was almost treated like a pawn in that whole situation of McGregor and Alvarez getting booked. If he doesn't, if he wins and doesn't get the next crack, um, at the lightweight champion, he's on his bike. He, he's going to call it a day. He's, uh, he's gonna, um, just move on and, you know, you know, perhaps retire from the spot, which would be incredible when you think about his record, 20 plus fights undefeated. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if Khabib wins, then he trumps RDA and Ferguson. But then you look at Ferguson, and he's running this eight-fight win streak. Um, and I think it was my colleague Mike Bond. I'm trying to think um, who else it was. But he sent out a tweet earlier this week where it's Tony Ferguson and one other fighter. And perhaps you can remember, but there's two fighters that have got over eight wins and never received a title shot in the 23-year 23, 23 history of the UFC, which is just incredible, considering how other... You know, fighters have been able to, you know, get a crack at a championship fight. Um, So let's see how things shape out. I think if next weekend, if Michael Johnson wins, then the winner of this weekend's fight has definitely got a better chance of getting a title shot. But then, as you said, it all depends on what happens between McGregor and Alvarez. McGregor wins. Is it the Alvarez rematch? Is it, you know, Nate Diaz part three? there's just so many you know variables in the air um, which is what makes you know the next couple of weekends are so fascinating and interesting in terms of what storylines are going to develop uh, but everything is going to be hinging on what happens in new york in a couple of weeks time
0: yeah and and i in, in no way am i advocating for more world titles in a division but you can see how in the world of boxing the multiple world championship thing works to people's benefit because you don't have these worthy contenders not getting a shot at a championship because there's God knows how many world championships knocking around. If you can't fight for the WBC, you can probably get on the fight fight for the IBF or the IBO or the IBA or the WB, WBO or the WBA or the WBF or the WBU. All these ridiculous alphabet boxing world titles. What it means is people get chances to fight for world championships. So, whereas what you've got with the UFC you're one title and that's how mm. i think that that's how it should be you have a one champion an undisputed champion the problem that you have is the logjam that you have underneath once you start playing around with things and the ufc has been playing around with stuff particularly when it comes to connor and and the problem now is things need to be settled back down again because we can't make this a showbiz attraction just completely because it's going to it's going to piss off people like Khabib who is he like 22-0 or something stupid like that? Yeah. Um, so, And he's gone through people like a hot knife through butter. And he if he wins, and he wins as dominantly as, as he has done in the past, he has to get the next title shot. And even if Nate Diaz turns up and says, well, I'm ready for that trilogy fight now, McGregor. And McGregor says, yes, let's have that trilogy fight. The, the, the UFC needs to put their foot down and say, no. If, if Conor McGregor is the lightweight champion, and there is a big question mark over, over, over whether he will be or not, Eddie Alvarez has got plenty to say about that. But if Khabib wins the fight, whoever is the world champion should be not asked to fight against Khabib, should be told to fight against Khabib. And if you don't, then you lose your belt. That's how it has to be. You, and, and they need to strengthen the ranking system. It needs to mean more. And you need to enforce the ranking system. Otherwise, what's the point in having it? And you've got this weird situation coming up where potentially Khabib could win the fight, could absolutely take Michael Johnson to the cleaners and still not fight for the UFC lightweight title until the second half of 2017, which would be a travesty. So I think it's a difficult one. I think if Khabib wins, he's got to be number one in the queue. But I think the winner of this particular fight, RDA versus Ferguson, has got to be number two. Um... Just because, you know, the body of work of, the, of both guys—RDA, former champion Ferguson—on that ridiculous eight-fight win streak. The other person, I think, and I haven't been able to—I haven't been on and checked his tweet. Might be Max Holloway. I don't know if it's, it might be Max Holloway. He's had a lot of wins at featherweight. Um, You're right. You're right, Simon. So it might be that—that's
1: that, that, the one. Yeah, I was trying to figure out who, who else it was. You're bang on the money there. It is Max Holloway. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and they're both kind of impacted by the same guy, aren't they? It's yeah. uh, you know it's. Conor McGregor is 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 the fly in the ointment for two two weight <laughs> classes right now, and uh, I would just like that I would just like him to settle down and say, right, I'm going to fight in this division. Uh, I spoke to Mark De today, and I said, what division do you think he should fight in? And he said, he's a lightweight. He should fight as a lightweight, and just find his place in that lightweight division. If he's a champion, great. But uh, but he also said he should give up the 145 belt, which I also agree with. But uh, we will see what happens at UFC 205 when it comes to belts and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, RDA versus Ferguson. Let's get a prediction off you, Mr. Sandu. Um, I've been thinking about this and um, it's going to be, it's a tough one to pick. Mm. But um, tougher to pick than a broken nose, as someone once told me. But uh, it's, it's, it's it's very
1: very graphic there, so si. thanks very much for that one. That's all good, mate. I'm
0: here. I'm nothing if not <laughs> disappointingly lame when it comes to the pun. But yeah, um, who's your money on? I'll give you, I'll give you my last ten pounds. Where'd you put it?
1: RDA well, or Ferguson? I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards Ferguson. Um, I just think that he's been, you know, excellent on this eight fight win streak. He looks better every time he's out. But at the same time, it's not just, you know, his, his performances and where he's at as a fighter now that kind of, you know, allow me to favor him a little bit more. It's what RDA's done recently. Um, he hasn't looked at his best um, and, re- well, actually, just this past week. Rafael Cordero gave an interview to Combache. Um, I never know which one it, which one it is. Is it, is it Globo? Is it Combate? They both won the same, basically, uh, in Brazil, um, which is like the, the big mainstream UFC slash MMA media outlet uh, in Brazil. So they had an interview with Rafael Cordero where he revealed that Rafael de Anjos had recently left King's MMA. Um, so now he's left and he's going to go set up his own gym, Um, from what I gather he'll still spend a little bit of time at King's MMA but his whole move away from that gym is a bit of a red flag for me because I think for the most part guys like him and Fabrizio Vadum have just gone on from strength to strength with their performances in in the octagon Um, so to do that, to do that kind of shift away and move away uh, during this kind of like transitional period where he's got a, a massive fight coming up against a streaking Tony Ferguson I'm, I'm not too sure that's, that, if that's the right move or not. Um, and, and I think there might be some lingering, you know, mental fatigue from having been injured and losing out on that Conor McGregor big payday. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of baggage there with the with, um, Rafael Dosanjos at the moment and with Ferguson he just looks super confident every interview he's giving he can't wait to get in there and prove himself and show what he's worth taking on all comers so yeah I'm picking Tony Ferguson on this one
0: yeah I'm I've been back and forth on this I sort of look at Rafael Dosanjos he's battle tested he's been in there with the best guys in the world <clears throat> he's held the championship he's won a lot of fights in the UFC and he's tough he's just a tough tough individual but he got he got beat up by the Alvarez, um, and I'm I'm wondering what that would have done to him. Uh, in the same, in much the same way, he got beat up by uh, Jeremy Stevens as well. Um, but particularly this fight, he wasn't he was basically knocked out standing, wasn't he? He wasn't he wasn't actually decked as such. He was stopped while still standing up against the cage, but he was getting blasted. Um, yeah. So you've got that side of it, and you got as you say, Tony Ferguson is a man in form. I don't think we know where Tony Ferguson's ceiling is yet. I don't think we've seen him tested to breaking point yet. You know when you get these title fights, and like Jones versus Gustafsson is probably a great example of this. Two guys who just pushed themselves to the absolute limit. Uh, Rory MacDonald versus um, Robbie Lawler is another one that springs to mind. Two guys who just absolutely laid everything on the line. I think Tony Ferguson is waiting for a fight like that. This could be that fight because... Dos is a tough guy. He's going to come in super motivated for this. Um, there are question marks over his camp. I totally agree with you. I think, And, and I think it's very valid as well. Um, but I, I, I sort of look at the fights and I think if they're both at 100%, I, would all, I think I would lean towards RDA just a little bit because he's seasoned and he's just got that rock-solid exterior that I think, he, as I say, he's battle-tested. Whereas I think right now I look at it, I think Ferguson's on the up-and-up. I think he's got more ways to win a fight. Um, I just think he he seems to be the, the, the sort of the coming man right now, and it would be a tough pick. It's sort of like fifty-one forty-nine almost, you know. And I'm I'm just siding with Tony Ferguson, but I think it's going to be a great fight, and I think it might last a little way. I think it might go into the third or fourth round. I think we're going to see. I think we're going to be talking about this as one of the best fights of the year. So um, I yeah, think I agree.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, Tony Ferguson. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is his uh, second back-to-back um, main event slot. Um, I believe, if I'm not, if I can remember correctly, I'm gonna look it up now as we're kind of having this conversation. But he fought on that Sioux Falls card, uh, just following UFC 200 uh, against uh, Lando Venata, who I believe came up, you know, came into the situation on on, on short notice there, and. Um, and actually no it wasn't um the the main event that was a uh, McDonald's denneker, but um you know that, that was a fight where Tony Ferguson was gonna push to the limit and uh you know his, his chin was definitely tested, and you know he was dropped, he was rocked, but he came through he came through that and uh, and maybe that's a good thing for him, you know uh because he can certainly get into a firefight with um with r d a uh, and just to know that you've got the chin um at this stage of his career to probably withstand. Um, a bit of uh, uh, a bit of abuse there on on the face. That's uh, that's never a bad thing.
0: Yeah, and the, if if you go on YouTube, um, they uh, the UFC like to put free fights up on YouTube to promote yep. to promote the main event guys as they're heading into their fights. They've put up the Tony Ferguson Edson Barboza fight from from last year. Uh, I was I was to side for that fight, and my abiding memory of that fight were two things. Uh, number one was the noise that was. Just, just, just the, the sound of Edson Barbosa's kicks on Tony Ferguson. It was like a man being hit with a baseball bat. Is the best. I've never seen a man like in person being hit by a baseball bat, but I can imagine that's what it would have sounded like. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was hard. So now,
1: so so- Simon, why are you using baseball bat as an analogy? If anything, you should be saying it's like a, it's like a man getting hit. By a cricket bat. Oh yeah, it's a brick pack, isn't it? Sorry,
0: yeah. A man yes. <laughs> being, it's like a man being hit with a cricket bat, and uh <laughs> but uh yeah, and and it was the other thing about it was Ferguson just completely poker faced the whole thing. He was getting blasted with those kicks, you know, leg kicks to the leg, kicks to the body, and he wasn't flinching at all. And uh he was putting himself in harm's way to try and get the fight to the floor. He was trying to roll in in leg locks and all sorts of stuff. And uh, at times, Barboza was lighting him up, especially with his kicks. And uh, he didn't care. He was just walking through it, walking through it, taking, no doubt, a hell of a lot of damage on the way in. But he won the fight. Um, Once he got where he wanted to be, he locked up the choke, finished him off. Dash choke, I think it was. But if you get the chance, get back onto YouTube, watch that fight, watch the amount of punishment that Barboza gave him it wasn't one-way street by any stretch you know ferguson was was dishing out a bit of his own but in the striking stakes he was getting beat up by uh by barboza and he knew he needed to fight on the floor he eventually got the fight on the floor and uh, he won the fight there was an illegal up kick, which also helped him a little bit but um but i don't think that that was what won in the fight so you know we'll give him a pass on that one but um but yeah i think he's 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 a tough tough guy and i think he needs a marquee win and i think to beat RDA in a main event on Fox, uh, on Fox Sports rather would be uh, would be sort of the start of it for him, and I think then he can start shouting for if not a title shot, then certainly a title eliminator um, if this isn't already one. So it's going to be an interesting one on that on that fight card as well, Sandu. We've got uh, we've obviously got the the tough Latin America finale fight that we've all been waiting for: Martin Bravo yeah. versus Claudio uh, Puelles. Um, <laughs> But aside from that, because you know we could be here all day talking about that one, um, Diego Sanchez is taking on Marcin, Marcin Held. That's an interesting mm. fight. But the one I really want to ask you about is Ricardo Lamas versus Charles Oliveira in the featherweight division. Yes. Two good guys who are just the nats below championship level. Um, but they'd only need a couple of wins to find themselves in contention. Again, it's the featherweight logjam you know, all the rest of it. But we've got two very, very tough guys here. Uh, both good on their on, you know, with their hands standing up. Both good on the mat. Uh, what's your take on that one?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel for Lamas a little bit here because he was supposed to fight BJ Penn in a main event slot in the Philippines, which, for all intents and purposes, would have been, I think, a walk in the park for him, uh, especially where BJ Penn is at at this stage of his career. Um, and obviously, a main event slot, you know, it's, it's a nice sort of platform uh, for any fighter. Uh, to kind of use that as a as a springboard to go on to bigger and better things. You know, here, you know, they've had to shuffle things around a little bit because they cancelled that, you know, Philippines card and they've stuck Lamas and Oliveira uh, on the main card, which is, which it's a six-fight six main card though, which is um, on, on Fox Sports, which means it's going to be a long night for us. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but look, um, you know, it's, it's a really good fight. It's a, definitely a way more competitive fight. And I think... Both Lamas and Oliveira, although they're kind of in the in the upper echelon, um, you know, of that uh, featherweight division, you know, they're both, you know, one and two in their last three. Um, they both, both definitely need a win here um, because, you know, I think for the loser, it's not exactly loser leaves town, um, but you're definitely going to start to drop, drop off quite a bit. Um, but um, if I'm going to pick one or the other, I, I think I might just lean towards Lamas a little bit here. Um, I think he was highly motivated uh, in training for that BJ Penn fight just because it was a main event slot. Um, And he just probably had to take the gas off a little bit uh, before ramping things up again for this Charles Oliveira fight. So um, I'm looking forward to the fight. I think it'll be a fun fight. uh, And I'm picking Lamas to win that one.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be really boring and agree with you. I um, (laughs) I, I, I I like Charles Oliveira, but I just think Lamas can hurt him standing up. I just think Lamas is a much more powerful guy. I think he can use his wrestling skills to keep Oliveira on his feet. Uh, and I think Lamas beats him up on, on, on the feet. So, uh, you know, his nickname is The Bully. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think he's going to bully Charles Oliveira. He needs to be careful he doesn't doesn't walk into anything or, or shoot into a guillotine or anything like that. long as he fights smart, I think he wins the fight. And I wouldn't be surprised if he stopped him. I think he's he's got it in him to to, uh, to get a stoppage win. And if he does that, then he's obviously back in the conversation again. So looking forward to that one. We've got a lightweight fight, Benil Dariush. one of the best submission guys at 155, is Rashid Magomedov. And we've got the debut of Alexa Grasso taking on uh, Heather Joe Clark, opening the uh, the main card at strawweight. Uh, just running down the rest of the card. Uh, Henry Biones was also going to fight Brad Pickett once upon a time. In fact, twice upon a time, and neither time it happened. Uh, he's in action. Eric Perez, El Goito he's in action against Felipe Aranches. Uh, and uh, the, the featured fight pass prelim is Smiling Sam Alvey against Alex Nicholson. Um, I, you got much more you want to say about this fight card? It's not. It's not one that's going to. It's going to. If anyone who's going to stay up and watch this through uh gets extra extra points for this because it's not it's not packed with star power there's still a tba on the card michael beltran doesn't have an opponent yet i assume that's a, a tough uh, a tough winner is going to go in there i don't know um but yeah we're not we aren't packed with too much star power there are we
1: no uh, but the one guy i think people should be keeping an eye on here is is martin held um who yeah. used to fight for for bellator for quite some time um only really lost to Will Brooks in the in the last kind of i say three years or so. Um, you know he's a veteran of the sport. He's you know been in well, well over 20 fights, um, and and he's coming in here, um, you know, in a situation where he could probably you know rise up the ranks quite quickly. And you know, getting a win over a you know name value opponent like Diego Sanchez, you know, on a, a main card you know, slot isn't going to do anything bad for you. Um, and considering where Diego Sanchez is, is in at the moment in his career, um, I, I think um, that would be a, I think it's gonna be a pretty easy uh, win there for marching held. I mean Diego Sanchez he's won what four or three of his last seven um, which included that ridiculous decision against Ross Pearson. but um, so yeah, marching held, keep an eye on him. Um, for, for, for people that have perhaps only been paying to the UFC product who may not know him, you know he is a very, very talented fighter uh, who I expect to do some really big things in the UFC now.
0: Excellent shout. Excellent shout. That is the Ultimate Fighter finale. That is this Saturday night uh, live on, on BT Sport. Uh, well, the main card will be live on BT Sport. The, uh, the TV prelims will be shared between BT Sport and UFC Fight Pass. And obviously, the UFC Fight Pass prelims, surprise, surprise, will be exclusive on UFC Fight Pass. That is this Saturday. Um, If we fast-forward an extra week, that takes us to New York City, the Big Apple, Madison Square Garden, biggest fights in UFC history, blah de blah blah. You've heard it all before. Now, we've got three World Championship fights on this card, Sandu. We've spoken about these. Everyone has spoken about these. I don't think we need to speak about these. We were, we've we already covered it. So let's take a look at the rest of the card. Because we'd, we've just talked about a fight card that doesn't have a lot of star power on it. You could argue that with maybe one or two exceptions, any of the fights on this card could easily be main eventing or co-main eventing this weekend's card. This is how strong these fights are. Um, yeah, I mean, Wybin Romero, Gaslam Cerrone, Tate Pennington on the main card, Edgar Stevens, Numa Nurmagomedov Johnson, uh, Evans Kennedy, Luke Mohammed on TV prelims on Fox and on BT Sport here in the UK, and the Fight Pass prelims, uh, Jim Miller, Thiago Alves, Rafael Natal, Tim Boach, and Liz Carmouche, Catlin Chouk again. And um, it's an interesting thing, just very quickly on Liz Carmouche, she... She's uh, she, she's getting historic things in a in, in her fighting CV. Yeah. You know she was the first she was involved in the first ever women's fight in the UFC when she fought yeah. um, Ronda Rousey. Now she's going to be the first UFC fight at Madison Square Garden. That's quite a a
1: feather The curtain jerker if fe- you will. A
0: feather in the cap. A feather first per- you know Carmouche and Tuke again. Whoever wins that whoever wins that fight can lay claim to be the first winner of a ufc fight at the iconic madison square garden that's kind of a cool thing um yeah. so uh, so yeah i mean pick out a couple of these fights for sandu and let us know uh, a little bit about you know your thoughts heading into this because you could almost close your eyes and just pluck fights out of a hat and dish out a load of reasons why people should be interested in these because there's so many good fights on this card
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, we spoke about it, you know, in, in in the first segment of the of the show today. You know, Khabib and Magomedov, Michael Johnson, just a huge, massive fight. Um, and from what I'm led to believe, you know, New York has a pretty big Russian uh, community, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, if Khabib gets, you know, you know, a quite a, a good reception there with fans um, with that kind of Russian background. Um, I'm expecting Michael Johnson to come out like a man possessed in this fight, knowing that this is a f- f- huge, huge opportunity to be the first man to give Khabib Namagomedov his first ever professional loss, that's a massive feather, feather in your cap. If you can do that, that puts you right at the top of the list, um, you know, and, and a nice promo to finish the night off, and then you're you're right in the business there and trying to get a, a title shot. Um, Rashad Evans, Tim Kennedy, fascinating, fascinating fight. I mean, Richard Evans is making his middleweight debut. He's kind of, you know, teased about doing it in the past. At one point, a few years back, there was the, 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 the potential of him dropping down uh, to fight uh, then champion Anderson Silva. Um, but that never materialized. And I think at the time, even when I looked at his body type, I thought maybe he's just carrying way too much, you know, um, muscle mass. Um, or, you know, perhaps it was just too much water weight that he carried. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, he's giving it a go. Um, but man, he's got a tough, tough, t- t- a middleweight debut against Tim Kennedy. And I don't know if you follow—I'm sure you do, Simon—but for those of you who perhaps don't, take a look at Tim Kennedy's social media, especially his Instagram. This guy looks absolutely ripped for a guy that's 37, and and you know he's being tested by USADA randomly and out of competition. Uh, so hopefully everything's on the up and up. But for someone that uh, still you know trains. Uh, and is you know part of the military hasn't fought in the UFC in over 2 years he looks in phenomenal condition um he said that he'd only come back for a big fight this is a huge fight for him um the last time we saw him in action was against UOL Romero when we had Stoolgate uh, go on but um but yeah i mean that that's just, that's just you know two out of two out of thin air that i can pick uh that are just fascinating storylines um, and that's just on the preliminary Fox Sports 1 card. Over to you, sir. You give me a couple.
0: Well, on, on the topic of Tim Kennedy, actually, I did a story on him today. He did a very good interview with our, our good friends in Australia, Submission Radio. Uh, do check them out if uh, if you're online. They're good lads. And uh, Tim Kennedy basically said uh, everyone's falling over themselves to fight Michael Bisbing because according to Kennedy, Bisbing is the easiest fight in the division. So uh, like the blue touch paper, retire to a safe distance I'm sure Bisbee will have something to say about that uh, in due course, but yeah, Kennedy. You know where they say this guy. You know this guy's tough. This guy's a killer. Tim Kennedy is tough, and he is actually a killer. Like yeah. in, in 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 real life. In real life, that's his that's his day job. He's an army sniper, right? So this he has no fears whatsoever stepping into the octagon because this is this is just playtime for him. Um, and uh, against Rashad Evans, I think we're going to be in for in for a very, very interesting matchup. Both guys um, have had lengthy layoffs. I mean, Evans came back more recently. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who who comes out of that one on top. I want to talk about Misha Tate, Raquel Pennington. That's going to open up the main card. I think that's a, a, a bit of a crossroads fight for both women in some ways. Um, you look at Raquel Pennington, she's on the up and up. She's always had the reputation of being a very scrappy very durable, uh, dogged sort of competitor. Um, And now she's getting the wins that matter in her career. And now she's got the opportunity to beat a marquee name. If she can get past Misha Tate, then she's launched herself straight into contender territory. So this is a huge fight for her. Um, And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how she goes. I think stylistically, her versus Misha could be... It could even steal the show. I think it could be a a really exciting back-and-forth contest. Misha um, obviously suffered that that crushing defeat at the hands of Amanda Nunes at UFC 200. You know she got she got beat up on the feet, eventually got uh, choked um, by by Nunes, and obviously lost the title at the first time of asking as well. Um, she she actually spent some time away. Her and Brian Caraway, uh, her boyfriend, uh, head coach, and top bantamweight contender in the UFC, they mm. both went up to Canada, uh, went to Ontario on an adventure sports weekend. Um, and uh, just completely got away from it all and uh, she seems to come back completely revitalised and uh, I think that's what we need I think she she seemed very very tired when heading into UFC 200 and there were issues with her weight cut I remember that week um, uh, I think she made weight literally with seconds to spare um, so I think if they can keep away from any dramas during fight week uh She's in quite a good place mentally right now. And I think she's going to come in very, very fired up to make a statement against Raquel Pennington. So I'm really looking forward to that fight. Um, But the one that I'm also very, very quickly just want to mention uh, Vicente Luque has stepped in on short notice or shortish notice to take on Bilal Mohamed. Um, Mohamed was going to fight Lyman Good, the former Bellator uh, champion. I think he was for a while. Um, uh, and uh, Lyman Good has, has uh, fallen foul of the Usada testing. He's uh, protested his innocence and said, you know, he hasn't had, he hasn't, he hasn't taken anything. Um, that's obviously going to go through its due process, but he's off the card. So Vicente Luque has stepped in. Find the Black Zillions Instagram account and find the footage of Vicente Luque sparring. I call it sparring. Basically, having an all-out fight in the ring with no headgear. Uh, I don't know who, I'm, I'm not sure who he was sparring with, but they were beating seven shades out of each other, Sandro. I was looking at it going, that's career shortening stuff. I, know, I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, I know it's the old shoot the box sort of ethos, you know, iron sharpening iron and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm, it was, it was pretty, pretty tough stuff. Um, so he's, he's coming. He's going to be ready. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a fun fight as well. But the, the, the one fight that excites me more than any other, and it's a bit of an easy pick because it's the highest fight that isn't a championship fight, is that Chris Weib and Joel Romero fight. Both wrestlers, both heavy-handed, both prodigious athletes. Um, and it's going to be a case of, has one of them, you know, Romero is an Olympic medalist wrestler. He's a world champion gold medalist in wrestling. Weidman was a strong collegiate wrestler, but he did, didn't wrestle uh, at an amateur level at the level that we, uh, Yoel Romero competed at. Is Weidman's wrestling good enough to stifle Romero? If it is, it might come down to the gas tank. And if it does, I think Weidman wins the fight. If it if he can't keep Romero off him, then uh, Weidman could find himself getting blasted. So it's a fascinating <clears throat> contest. I think it's on a knife edge and it's going to all hinge on whether uh, whether Weidman can stifle Romero's uh, superior on paper wrestling game, um, it's going to be it's going to be a cracking matchup. Uh, the winner of that, I think, if Chris Weidman wins, I think he gets the next title shot.
1: I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but a, a point on on the gas tank because I'm I'm, the, I'm of the same opinion. I, I think the longer the fight goes, it favors Weidman. But then I look at Romero's record, and would it, would it surprise you if I told you that? His last six wins have all come in the third round of the fight.
0: But have you seen the state of him in the third round of those fights? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: he's,
0: blo- I mean, he's blown out of his backside by the time he yeah. gets to the middle of the third. Uh, he certainly and,
1: is. And, and, but and somehow he does it. He does it. He somehow manages to pull off these wins. He's doing um, it. He's doing it. Late in the fight. fight. he's Somehow he's doing it. I don't know how he's doing it, but he's doing it. Yeah, I think it,
0: in many ways it's a, saving, a little bit of a saving grace for Romero that this isn't a five-round fight. Because I think if it was a five-round fight, I think Weidman can employ slightly different tactics and drag him into deeper water and, and, uh, and, and maybe look to beat him late on. It's a three-round fight, so it's a bit more of a sprint. There's always the chance that it might go to decisions. So, so, you know, you can't, you can't play about in round one. Uh, you've got to really come out the traps quick. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating contest, I think. Um, it really could go either way. If I was putting money down, I think I'd I'd side with Chris Weidman, just. But um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Romero just completely chuck him around the octagon for three minutes and then finish him. It's that sort of fight. It really could go either way. But if you force me, gun to the head, I'll pick Chris Weidman to win that and go on to face uh, Michael Bisbing, probably in London, uh, early in 2017. There's a little early prediction for you. There you go.
1: I like it. I like it. Um, That's if... Michael Bisping is perhaps still the UFC middleweight champion, and how about that for a segue for you, Sai? You want to say that for us? That's that's.
0: It's almost like we rehearsed. And believe you me, if <laughs> we don't rehearse, <laughs> as if as if we needed that explaining. But yeah, yeah. so so which which moves us on seamlessly uh, to UFC 206, um, and I'm I use Wikipedia to check up the fight cards and stuff. Just because it's easy, the page loads quick and all the rest of it. And the page I'm looking at right now, ah, it's been edited. Two minutes before we actually hit the airwaves with this podcast, Michael Bisbing versus George St. Pierre had been added to this fight card in very playful fashion by somebody uh, and had not done a very good job of it because it broke the table and it looked looked a mess on the page. Anyway, that's gone now. Um, Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Rumble Johnson is our main event, unless anyone else can uh, tell us different. Max Holloway. Uh, is going to be in action against Showtime Anthony Pettis, who's had a tricky week this week. Mm. Uh, having, uh, I think, it was three of his cars were torched on his on his driveway. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Um, but uh, far, I mean, Pettis isn't the sort of guy who strikes me as someone who'd have a lot of enemies. So it's a bit of a weird one. He's not. He's not that no. sort of character, is he?
1: No, he's not. And I, and, I, and I saw both Anthony Pettis and Sergio Pettis's Instagram posts about the situation uh and obviously we're a million miles away from you know where they you know are in milwaukee wisconsin uh but apparently from what i can gather it's a pretty rough-ish kind of town city neighborhood that they live in uh, and they haven't left um that area um regardless of how much money they've been able to make in right. the sport of mixed martial arts, they've kind of stuck to their roots in terms of where they've been brought up and where, where they've been raised. Uh, and obviously there's lots of pros and cons that come with that because if, uh, if, uh, you're, you're the person in that rough part of town, that's got the nice cars and, you know, it's got the money and so forth. And, you know, that sometimes breeds jealousy and, and who knows who did it, but you know, this might be a wake up call. Maybe it's just one of the things where they do need to leave, you know, that, that part of town and, Moves into a more secure and safe neighborhood um, for the safety of themselves and their family and friends more than anything else. You know, I'm sure like you know, these cars, you know, materialistic things can be you know replaced, and, and I'm sure there'll be an insurance claim to get you know that all sorted. But yeah, you know, like you said, thankfully nobody was uh, hurt or harmed, and it'll be interesting to see you know how much of an impact this has uh, on Pettis am heading um, you know heading into this fight, uh, which is only about you know five five weeks away now. Um, and I'm sure he'll get asked lots of questions about it, and I'm sure it's a bit of a pain to actually go through um, some of the, I suppose, admin things that you've got to do with something like that with the police and the insurance company and, and also the fear of you know, future attacks. Like, do you keep your family and, and everyone in there? Do you move out? So that's, I'm sure, playing on his mind, and, and it couldn't have happened in a worse time because, you know, to get a, a crack at a streaking Max Holloway a win over him and boom, you're right in there. Given the fact that you're coming into the featherweight division as a, as a former lightweight champion, you've got that name value. You've headlined pay-per-views. Um, you know, a win over Holloway and you're right at the top of the list there. So this couldn't have happened at a worse time. Um, but uh, but it'll be interesting to see, kind of, you know, what kind of happens and how that scenario plays out in the next five weeks as well.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And You know, we hope uh, hope everything gets sorted on that side of things. Uh, he's up against it against Max Holloway, uh, notwithstanding out of the outside of the cage uh, distractions. He's got as, as tough a fight as you can really give him at 145 right now. I mean, Holloway for me is 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 the guy at 145. I think he should be fighting Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo doesn't want to be fighting anybody right now, so it's kind of a tricky one. So I think I think the winner of this uh, you have to say would be the number one contender. Um, given everything that's going on above them in in, in a division. So it's, it's it's a huge, huge fight for Pettis. It's the fight that Holloway, I think, uh, needs just to completely cement his, you know, and re- eliminate any doubt as to him being the number one contender. Uh, and I think that's going to be a great fight. Uh, Valerie Letourneau is in action. It's Vivian Pereira. Zach Mikoski, John Moraga. Uh, looks like a pretty decent fight on paper at flyweight. Uh, Nikita Krilov against Misha Serkinov at light heavy, Makdesi versus Venata, could be a bit of a sleeper for fight of the night, I think that might be, uh, I think that might be some fun in games at 155, uh, Chad Lapreze, Lee Jing Yang, my my favourite fight on the card, which I, I I don't know if it's confirmed, as the fight pass feature prelim, but if it isn't, it should be, Cub Swanson, Du Ho Choi, uh, that for me, that's, that's almost a co-main event fight, um, it's it should be right up there, but the way it's being listed at the moment, um, it might be a bit further down the card. I'd love to see that fight as the featured the featured prelim or the featured fight post prelim. Um, we've got some other Canadian stars on there. Sago takes uh, Jason Sago takes on Rustam Habilov, who is probably one of the hardest guys to look good against at lightweight. He's just as tough as they come. Mitch Gagnon against Matthew Lopez and OAM. It doesn't quite work the same as GSP. Olivier Obin mercier taking on Drew Dober, uh, famous brother-in-law of Nick Hine. Uh, if you don't know that story, look that one up. That's uh, that's a fun story. Uh, Drew Dober meeting Nick Hine's uh, sister uh, during during fight week when Drew Dober was due to fight Nick Hine. Uh and uh, Nick Hine beat Drew Dober and Drew Doba started hooking up with Nick Hine's sister and they're now married. So uh, I don't know if you won out of that one. A
1: it's... beautiful story from the MMA gods.
0: There you go. It's, it's, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. So um, there's some good fights on that card. I know it's not superstar, stellar, laden like it is in uh, UFC 205. It hasn't got that absolute... Sort of uh, a list attraction to it that that 207 has got. Maybe there's room for another fight or two. Jordan Meehan is due to make his MMA comeback, by the way, as well. He's taking on a very dangerous guy, Emil Weber Meek. Um, that I don't know if it's been 100 confirmed. It's been it's been uh, reported as being added to the card. So that's a welterweight. So that's a good fight as well. The question, Sandu, uh, Michael Bisbing has been angling for a fight with GSP. It looks like that fight is not happening. Um, he's now mentioned Nick Diaz um, also for this card. Maybe that fight is doable. Um, do we want to see Michael Bisbing on this card? Does this fight card need Michael Bisbing? What will it? Will it actually get Michael Bisbing? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? He seems to be quite keen to go to Toronto. That seems to be the basic gist of what I can make out he wants another fight for the end of the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is probably a good uh, point in the show to plug uh, a series of articles on MMA Junkie that I I really wish uh, everyone listening and watching um, will go and read, hopefully, once they've heard about this. So MMA Junkie was able to obtain um, investor documents from WMEIMG, and it was presented to them by Zufa uh, when they were kind of like, you know, (laughs) Getting uh, in, you know potential uh, bidders in, involved in, in the in the process, and so this is exclusive to MMA Junkie. They've got these forty-eight pages and. It's just fascinating to see and read um, some of the revelations with regards to uh, the income and how the revenue has been split over the last couple of years and where that revenue has come from, how much revenue has been generated. Um, we could do an entire show just on you know based on the information. And but uh, Ben Folks and Stephen Morocco have kind of teamed up um, to write a series of articles. Uh, based on kind of going through this 48-page document, which must have been a task in itself. But I highly recommend go visit MMA Junkie. You'll find it on there. There is one thing that I want to take out um, of one of the articles uh, that is uh, nicely related to UFC 206. And it's the idea that back in uh, 2014, the UFC decided to change strategy with their pay-per-views and start to what they call, quote-unquote, double stacking which basically means you've got your main event slot and then you've got a a big co-main event as well. Now, that co-main event could be another title fight or it could just be two big names. But the idea is, is... you promote them as equally as each other so that if something happens to your main event or someone falls out and changes then perhaps that co-main event can just move right on up into that main event slot and it's still been promoted you know pretty heavily um and obviously you know this is a good example of what happened especially after that John Jones UFC 151 situation but now i take that and i look at UFC 206 and i think to myself well okay you've got Cormier and Johnson in the main event slot Is Holloway and Pettis really double stacking? I'm not too sure. For a a, a pay-per-view, I'm not sure. Um, A UFC uh, pay-per-view main card slot, absolutely 100%. But then you look at the number of fights that have been so far included for UFC 206, and I'm counting 11. So there's there's still a couple of slots open um, for that entire fight card. You look at Michael Bisping, he's been in three fights. He was in a war with Dan Henderson. Um, he seems to have healed up like Wolverine. I saw some, you know, <laughs> if you just see some of the interviews he's done this he's done this week it's incredible. Um we all know that he doesn't need exactly too much notice uh to come in uh for a fight. He fought Luke Rockhold on a couple of weeks notice, no problem. Um he's very active. He's you know fought three times this year. He wants it. He wants to fight versus Nick Diaz. Um it's potentially going to I mean if it happens at UFC 206, it would happen at the same time as the other big middleweight fights with Rockhold and Jacare. And so regardless of what things happen between that fight and the Weidman and Romero fight, you know, all those guys will still need a couple of months to prepare for the next fight anyway. So it's not as if Michael Bisping and Nick Diaz are potentially going to happen in February, which might lock down the middleweight division even further until next summer. Right. Then I think about Michael Bisping being a champion and he must be on pay-per-view points. In fact, he said he's on pay-per-view points. Who knows how much UFC 204 did sign? You know, it was it was in Manchester. It was late night. Um, you know, it didn't exactly have the super duper big star power uh, that you get um, with a Rousey or or a McGregor or you know someone of that nature. But Nick Diaz is a proven draw, and to be able to you know dance with him, you, you know he's gonna you know give you a lot in terms of media traffic. Uh, to generate interest, he's been away for a while. He's kind of had the MMA community support, um, especially going through the whole Palava with the US- US- Usada suspension situation, where it was five years and then it got down to eighteen months. Um, Nick Diaz returning to the Octagon is a huge story in itself. Daniel Cormier would love for that to happen because he's also on pay per view points. So I suppose in regards to uh, cashing in, um, getting some you know um, revenue from the back end of the pay per views. And fighting at a time where it won't disrupt too much of the rest of the middleweight pack, it makes sense. Meritocracy wise, of course, it doesn't make sense. Nick Diaz is is, is, is you know mostly for at welterweight. He had that odd fight at middleweight against Anson Silva, which is obviously now uh, you know classified as a no contest. Um, and and. I mean, what would happen? I mean, if, if Nick Diaz wins the middleweight championship, does that mean he's going to be fighting the winner of Wideman Romero? Does he get a rematch with Michael Bisping? I mean, I just don't know what would happen in that particular situation. Um, but I suppose just from, you know, a point of view of looking at UFC 206 needing another big fight, it makes total sense.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think if they can get him on that card, it's a no-brainer. And there is a bit of moaning about the fact that he's, he wanted to fight GSP and now he wants to fight Nick Diaz. All the other big fights are tied up. Yeah. And as you say, they're in kind of the same time frame. So it's a case of does he want to rest up or does he want to fight? And you know, if he wants to fight, then of course he's gonna to want to fight the biggest the biggest names out there. So, you know, if you look at all the top contenders in that division, all of them have got fights. I think you go down the list, they've all got fights. So Obviously, he's going to need to look slightly out of left field. GSP, Nick Diaz, either one of them makes complete sense, and it's going to add to the card. So I don't see any. I don't see any problem with the potential of him of him fighting Nick Diaz or, or even George Shapier. Um, so re- and and what it does is it puts him on the same time frame as, the, as as the other contenders, so that in theory they can then start to position them. In the 2017 calendar, knowing that you know, with the medical suspensions and everything, they'll need a certain amount of time, and but they'll both be ready at a given time, guaranteed. Do you know what I mean? So, I think it makes total sense. And to be honest, the fight card needs it. We've got 11, 100% confirmed fights, Jordan Miena versus versus, uh, Emil Meek would make that 12. Um, but one more. You know, we've, we have seen 13 fight cards in the UFC. So, um, And I think it needs another one. I think it needs another big one at the top. Um, it really depends on how valuable it is to the UFC to do it. Um, and uh, I, I certainly don't think there's going to be the same issues getting Nick Diaz to sign the deal as it has been trying to get George St-Pierre. Uh, because obviously there's a completely different negotiation process happening with GSP. So... I don't think there are too many impediments to uh, Diaz jumping back in there. You know, once he's cleared by USADA and he's 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 off the uh, he's off the Nevada thing. Has he got to pay a fine? Has he had to pay a fine? I don't know if he's done that or not yet.
1: Well, well this is interesting because it's a seventy-five thousand dollar fine he's got to pay um, Nevada State Athletic Commission. But this fight is taking place in Toronto. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I don't know if he's going to perhaps try and get the UFC to pay on his behalf as a, as a way of negotiating to take the Michael Bisping fight. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, officially by the rule book, he does own Nevada $75,000 um, in this, in within the, the United States of America. The, um, the, the other kind of athletic commissions do tend to um, abide by what the other commissions do in terms of rulings. So in the states, in Nevada specifically, he wasn't—he he wouldn't be able to fight unless that fine would be paid. Um, so, it'd be yeah, it'd be interesting to see you know if he ends up on this tron. What actually is uh, the 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 end scenario with that situation?
0: Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe another he,
1: fascinating wrinkle to the Nick Diaz story.
0: As if we needed more of those, but yeah, I I just just as a side note, it'd just be good to see him back in there again. You know, I think you know we. It's it, his his absence has almost given Nate the chance to shine, and that's been great yeah. for him. But you know, Nick Nick is a superstar in his own right, and of course, he's a former world champion. So it'd be great to see him back in there. Um,
1: bit of a bit of a nice little of stat. Uh, it's just been as it is Halloween weekend. Um, five years ago, five years ago, uh, this weekend was when Nick Diaz last won a fight in the UFC, and I was there for that one UFC one thirty. 30- UFC 137, uh, he beat B.J. Penn, um, which kind of makes the whole idea of him getting a title shot against Michael Bisping, the UFC middleweight champion, uh, that's where I can see the uproar from parts of the community where this guy's coming in of a massive suspension, he hasn't even won a fight in the UFC in five years, and all of a sudden you're giving him a UFC middleweight title shot. That makes zero sense. But... It makes sense and it makes dollars, so that's why it makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's here's the thing, right? And it's the same with the Conor McGregor situation right now, him fighting Eddie Alvarez. I think these fights, while if you look at the situations in isolation, they don't make a hell of a lot of sense. You've got a featherweight champion fighting for the lightweight title and not defending his belt. And then you've got this potential situation where a guy who hasn't won a fight in how many? Five years was it you just said? Yeah. Go, jumping in and, and potentially fighting for the UFC middleweight title. Again, in isolation, looks ridiculous. But if you look, step back and look at the bigger picture a little bit, what does it do? The McGregor fight then hits the reset button, hopefully, on the featherweight division and the lightweight division. There will be an undisputed champion in the lightweight division by the end of this fight. And McGregor will either be that man or he's gonna to have to make a decision on dropping back down. But he's not gonna hold both belts. That immediately wakes up the featherweight division again. So that's that. So you're sort of hitting the reset button on that. What you're doing with Bisbing, if Bisbing fights at 206, it doesn't damage anything. All it does is it extends the Michael Bisbing story. If Michael Bisbing beats Nick Diaz, that's another MMA legend on his record. That just makes him uh, even more you know it's, it's another chapter to his story when you then sell his next fight against Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, Joel Romero or Jacare so it actually benefits them as well so there's that obviously if Nick Diaz wins then all the chips go up in the air and everything completely changes um, but Everything moves on, because, but having beaten Bisbing, he's then on the same time frame as the other contenders in the division. It allows that division, which has had a bit of a logjam itself, to then move on at the appropriate pace. So looking at them individually, you can kind of see why people are a little bit up in arms about it. Take a step back and look at the bigger picture and say, OK, how are these fights going to help things 6 to 12 months down the line? Hopefully it puts things into alignment again. And then what you hopefully will have is a situation where you've got weight divisions that are progressing properly with the appropriate guys getting getting the title shots. And if you have to have a couple of these slightly left field matchups in order to get to that point, so be it. There'll be fun fights to watch. So I'm looking forward to the potential of Bisping fighting Diaz. Uh, GSP would have been just a ridiculous fight. I would have loved to see that. Um, But it doesn't look like we're going to get that now. So
1: We'll have to see. Um, I hope- I've got a feeling when we're in New York, or by the time we're in New York, Simon, I think we're going to – I think we were the, either have been given the announcement that this fight's taking place. I've got a gut feeling that this is a fight that's going to happen. I don't know why. I just see Michael Bisping going through the Fox Sports car wash of all the different outlets talking about Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz will be in New York next week. He's scheduled to do a few kind of fan appearances with Joe Schilling and Nate Diaz.
0: As will Bisping, by the way.
1: As will Bisping. So He's going to be York, there with
0: the Fox team. So
1: Yeah, there you go. New York, media capital of the world. You're going to have the, the world's MMA media, the indigenous media. Uh, you're going to have mainstream media there. Um, that will be a, a nice, nice moment to announce the fight and then get all this media attention to them build on to UFC 206. Because, listen, you know, things don't stop with UFC 205. There's always the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. So to take advantage of Fight Week in New York and uh, the media opportunities, um, I think when we're there, I think they're going to announce it.
0: Yeah, and just a little side note, and it's just occurred to me, if Conor McGregor wins against Eddie Alvarez, and if Michael Bisping fights Nick Diaz... And Nick Diaz wins. Given that the final pay-per-view of 2016 will be UFC 207. And the amount of turnaround time you could be looking at. We could potentially see UFC 209 featuring Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor 3. For the lightweight championship of the world. And Nick Diaz defending the UFC middleweight championship of the world. How batshit mental
1: would that be? That would be pretty crazy. And if you want to just throw in the the ultimate um, scenario, if if it was we're getting we're getting crazy, we're getting, we're getting into crazy territory. I feel like we've taken some MMA mushrooms now just talking about this stuff. It's but, been a long time since we've seen some live fights, <laughs> Sandu. <maybe. laughs> yeah, I know we're clucking. Um, but if you had a situation with McGregor, Nate Diaz, and then how about Diaz? <laughs> middleweight champion of the world, defending against George St. Pierre, his old rival, and, and a rematch he's been wanting for ages. And you'd have the Diaz brothers, McGregor, and GSP, all all in the mix to co-headline UFC 209, which just as a number itself is just like, when you, when you talk about numbers, just ask John Anik what that means, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's It's one of the most kind of iconic numbers within the world of MMA that we live in, you know, so but let us let uh, yeah it's been it's been a few weeks since we last watched any of you know UFC action so yeah it's been a while we've all gone a little bit crazy i can only yeah. i can only <laughs> apologize
0: and on that note we should probably return to reality and what better way than to answer some of your questions um yeah i understand you've got a few questions that we can uh, we can address this week um yeah. it's uh, yeah i mean you know we're getting back into the fights again so uh, yeah hopefully um any of you guys out there if you've got any questions that arise from the fights this weekend or any questions that you want us to address about 205, 206, 207, any more crackpot theories about UFC 209, whatever you want um we can't always promise to be right but we will at least give you an opinion. So uh, we'll speculate. There you go. We'll there you speculate go. and yeah. give you an opinion. At at the Britpack MMA on Twitter is the uh, the place to uh, to send your questions. Uh, you can copy us in at Sandu MMA at Simon Head, uh, and uh, we will make sure that we gather gather together the great and the good from the questions that come in, and we will do our best to answer them uh, each week on the show. Mr. Sandu, I will hand over the reins to you, my good
1: man. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks everyone for uh, tweeting us uh, your questions. Remember, if you want to get your questions read out on the show, you have to copy in the Britpack MMA handle. That is the feed that I'm looking at. Uh, when I'm reading these questions out. So uh, the first question is from Andrew Sordi, um, which is a a weird surname, Andrew, but uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, Do you really want to see Bisping at 206? Uh, I hope he waits for Weidman slash Romero slash Jacare slash Rockle. I mean, we've just come off a a whole segment talking about this, but I can see Andrew's point of view here. He's in that kind of... um, I'm not going to say minority, but definitely in the section of the MMA community uh, that believes in the meritocracy, that believes in uh, fighters earning title shots and you know champions defending against the right opponents. So I can appreciate um, what you're saying there, Andrew. Um, I suppose from a personal point of view, it's, it's I don't know about you, side, but it's always an ongoing conflict uh, that I have internally in regards to. A part of me agrees with what Andrew's saying here. I want to see the best fight the best and and, and title shots and, and and opportunities earned and champions fighting um, the next, you know, um, challenger, so to speak, in the pecking order. At the same time, though, there is a, also a part of me that just wants to see the biggest fights possible, the biggest names fighting each other, because from, again, a media perspective, angles, storylines, um, build up hype, promotion. I love that part of the sport. I love that part of the business. And uh, when you get polarizing figures like Nick Diaz and Michael Bisping, who have a long history in the sport and a long history in the, in the UFC as well, um, you know, when else are you going to see fighters like that? You know, potentially fight each other. You know, these these opportunities, you know, come around uh, once in a blue moon. So, um, so I can appreciate what Andrew's saying here, but again, sorry, that's just me having an internal conflict all the time. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I I, I put myself in the same boat as, as Andrew, to be honest, in as much as I want the sport to be a meritocracy first. I think the championship belts need to mean something. If you've got a UFC championship belt, it needs to mean that you are the best in the world in your weight class. And uh, I think you need to earn it. And to win, you need to beat the best guy. And Michael Bisping beat the best guy. He beat the champion of the world. He knocked him out. Um, so he, he's a legit champion. Um I know people aren't happy necessarily with that because not everyone likes Michael Bisping. He beat the champion and he beat him decisively. Everyone likes to tell everyone how good Luke Rockhold is, and he is. He's brilliant. He got knocked out in three and a half minutes by Michael Bisping. It's facts. fact. You know, UFC 199. Um, so you're now in a situation where he needs to defend his belt. Fine. Can he defend his belt against a top contender? Well, he can't at the moment because they're all tied up. So... He has the option. Does he sit out or does he want to give the fans effectively and himself a bonus fight? Have an extra fight. He's prepared to put his title on the line against someone who necess- not necessarily is a, a top contender in terms of the rankings. Nick Diaz is a former world champion. He's not. It's not like he's fighting the cleaning lady here. He's fighting a good guy if he fights Nick Diaz. So I don't have a problem with it. I think if it comes at the expense of a, of a legit title fight, then I've got an issue with it. And that's why I think the Conor McGregor situation is a little different. Um, but in terms of this one, and he's not missing out on these other fights, if he fights at the same sort of time as Romero and Jacare and all these guys, then he's going to come out of it the other side in exactly the same state as all these other guys. So he'll be on the same time frame. I don't think it's a problem if he fights. Um, I think uh, as long as he's in a position to defend against the winner, you know, the most impressive winner, got no problem with it. Get him in there. Um if he wants to sit and wait, fine. Then he gets the win. He gets the most impressive winner. Either way, he'll fight the most impressive winner. So I don't think we've got a problem. I think it's all good.
1: Sounds good. Um, RG tweets in and says, "With Alexa Grasso, uh, who we spoke about briefly earlier on, uh, set for a UFC debut, how far do you think she can go in the strawweight division? Uh, you can tackle that one first, I." Si.
0: I've not seen too many of her fights. But what I've seen of her is she she's she's good. She's good. But what we haven't seen. Is how she's going to do against the likes of Joanny and Jacek, against the Rose and Emma Eunice, against a Carolina uh, Kowalczyk. You know, so she's very talented. She's undefeated. So she's coming in, and I think the time is right for her. And I think, I think uh, Heather Joe Clark she's fighting. I think this weekend is that right? Um, yep. So I think, I think that's a good introductory fight for her. Heather Joe is very tough. Uh, has been in there. She, you know, she was on that Ultimate Fighter season. Um, and I think if Alexa Grosso gets past uh, Heather Joe Clark, then you could maybe see her against a, like, you know, like a, a Felice Herrig or someone like that, and then move her up a little bit further. I mean, potentially she could face someone like Paige Van Zant uh, further down the line, and just move her way up the ladder. But I think I think she's I think she's very talented. She's young; she's only 23 years of age. So there's no immediate rush to sling her in at championship level at this point. Um, and I'm excited to see what 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 the ceiling is for her because I think you know from the strawweight division, obviously it's it, it's the newest division in the UFC. But for me, it's one of the most exciting as well. So I'm looking forward to it. More more top top draw fighters moving into that division, the better. And undefeated prospect from Mexico as well, uh, which has all sorts of marketing connotations for the UFC. If she starts winning fights um then uh, yeah i'm looking forward to it. it should be it should be a fun fight with hella joe clark on saturday
1: yeah i'm in the same uh you, So i haven't really seen too much of a i mean in terms of what the stats tell us she's eight and O with four decisions and four knockout victories her last four fights have been in the in, in in victor fc which has basically become like a nice little feeder system uh for the ufc 135 and 115 um weight classes um but even if i had seen her uh fight before I always, I always am of the opinion it doesn't matter where you come from, where you fought before. When you fight in the UFC, there is a bit of, uh, you know, it's, it's something that you need to overcome. To get through that first walkout, to experience a UFC fight week, there's more media exposure, there's more media requests, it's all new. It can be overwhelming. How do you deal with the, the mental side of fight week? How do you deal with uh, perhaps the largest arena you've ever fought in uh, in front of more people than you've ever fought in front of before? You know, That's a big, big spotlight when you fight in the UFC, the biggest promotion in the world. So that's a major factor especially making your debut when you're coming in with hype uh, and there's a lot of people talking about you know your potential so for me i always like to take a, a back seat when, when 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 you know fighters are making their debut and trying to get too caught up uh in the in the pre-fight talk and the build-up and the promotion of the stories and rather just let let them perform once or twice see how they do before i make them a, a more kind of um I suppose, informed decision in regards to my opinion of that particular fighter. Uh, but with regards to everything that you mentioned, uh, Simon, uh, a fantastic prospect. Um, I read an interview on MMA fighting actually earlier today where she kind of openly says she's a massive fan of Johna um, especially her striking. It's something that she wants to emulate. Um, so got, obviously got tons of respect uh, for, for, the, for the woman who's at the top of that particular weight class. Um, going on to the next tweet coming in from John Todd. He says, "What do you think the u f c looks like today if r d a didn't pull out of u f c one ninety six How different would it be now for connor diaz aldo and others and that's an interesting question because had r d a not pulled out well, what if Connor had already beaten him and was and we were, and was already a two weight champion you know that alone I suppose would have you know been, been so historic." Um, that he, that would have been, I suppose, the, the storyline pegging him on um, to bigger and better things in terms of pay-per-view numbers. I still think, regardless of what happened in that situation, which ended up being this big Diaz storyline of 2016 for McGregor, which obviously broke pay-per-view records, his number and his star was still rising, regardless of the Diaz situation. Now, maybe it, you know, spiked uh, much higher than you know, anyone would have thought with that situation with Nate Diaz. And obviously, they've you know, definitely been riding that ever since um but you know i i think that perhaps we may have seen again all speculative had mcgregor beaten rda um and rda not pulled due to injury perhaps could we have seen him drop back down one more time to featherweight and fight Jose joselle at ufc 200 who knows but again if we're going to go into the delorean here simon and we're going back to events pre- before ufc 196. What about you? If RDA doesn't pull out of that fight, how do you think that fight goes with McGregor at that particular moment in time? And do you think it would have had a different impact on how things have been you know, panned out for for Conor Diaz and Aldo?
0: Absolutely, it would have made a difference because I think win or lose, um, we would have had a you know we would have had a winner uh, in that fight. So, and I think if 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 McGregor had won, he would have. It would have reached his his goal of becoming a two-weight world champion. And I think the decision over what to do with the two belts will have been made by now. So I think the divisions would be more settled today than they are right now because of that. Because I think we're just a few months behind what should have been the case, you know. This should have happened earlier in the year. Uh, RDA's uh, broken slash bruised foot was the reason. that that That's what derailed everything. You know that was the like the sliding doors moment that completely changed history, right? So, um, and now what you've got the one the uh, the biggest loser in this? if you got in your DeLorean and went back in time, or you jumped into the body of Sam Beckett and went back quantum leap style, and uh, somehow that fight happened? Um, the biggest loser would be Nate Diaz because those fights wouldn't have happened, and Nate Diaz w- would probably still have been. Uh, sort of a maverick cult hero without being the big superstar that he has now become. Uh, in terms of McGregor, um, it may well have been that he would have beaten RDA. Um, so if we if we go down the, uh, the route of him having beaten RDA, the whole mystique of Conor McGregor would be different as well because I think one of the things that has made McGregor arguably even bigger now is the fact that he is considered vulnerable. The fact that he lost, in some ways, I think, has made him even bigger, because if, if you've got an all-conquering, dominant champion, a la Ronda Rousey, everyone tunes in because they're waiting to watch the champion win. Other people are getting a bit bored with that, but the, you know the fans will stay in and tune in to watch him win. Conor McGregor has always been—he's always been saddled with this thing where. He hasn't fought the best guys, or he hasn't fought an elite wrestler, but then he fought Chad Mendes and beat him. But then there was the excuse of Mendes was on a short camp. There was always a caveat. Anyone who wanted to slag off McGregor always had something to cling on to. Um, Then he lost to Diaz. And uh, at which point, that really did throw everything up in the air. But then he came back and beat Diaz. And at that point, McGregor went from being a superstar to being a megastar. And at that point, for my money, he became bigger than Ronda Rousey in terms of the sport of mixed martial arts. Or in terms of sport, I think he became a bigger star. Um, he certainly earns more money at the box office than Ronda ever earned. Um, and uh, it'd be interesting to see what, what kind of numbers Ronda pulls, although she's on a Friday night card on December the 30th. That's not ideal for her in terms of pulling numbers. But but yeah, I think McGregor now is the biggest star in the UFC, even if Ronda comes back. And uh had he fought and beaten dos he'd be the biggest star in the ufc now but i think the whole mystique around him would be a completely different feel and i think actually if you're the ufc and you go back and you look at the way it worked out you couldn't have had it work out better i really don't there's a few little things to smooth out with the featherweight division and all the rest of it that's all going to be done by the end of this year everything will all family business will be attended to and we will kick up uh, kick off into 2017 every weight division sorted uh, and uh hopefully ronda rousey back in the fold conor mcgregor uh in charge of one division at the very least so i think it's interesting but i i think it's worked out for the best I really do
1: and that's a wrap for questions simon uh, which basically means all roads lead to new york city
0: they do, mate. They do. I've never been to New York City. Anyone who's been to New York City, you got any recommendations? Where can we get a good dollar pizza near Madison Square Garden? Let me know uh, any good places to uh, to go for a cold beer after we finish our work. That would always be good to know as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I've, I've, as I say, I've I've been to America a few times, but I went to LA once, and the rest of the time it's just been Vegas. So my actual touristy hat is going to come out for this one and i'm going to try and get about the city and check check out some of the sights and sounds of new york it should be good fun and then i can't wait and then it's going to be amazing and then we've got the biggest fight card in ufc history on Saturday night. it's going to be amazing get your questions in nice and early um we haven't completely decided on how we're gonna how we're gonna do the show after 205 i expect we will do something out there uh, pressure, we'll figure it out press room we'll maybe it or something like that but <laughs> yeah. you can guarantee we'll be doing something special uh, for that and it should be good fun um, and uh, fingers crossed we'll have something for Belfast as well but we've got a, f- got a few little wrinkles that need ironing out first um, but uh, fingers crossed fingers crossed we'll be able to do something fun for for that as well follow Sandu at Sandu MMA follow me at Simon Head and follow the show at the Brit Pack MMA you can subscribe rate and review us at iTunes You can subscribe via Acas and you can subscribe via Stitcher. Go to soundcloud.com slash thebritpack to to listen straight from the browser and also get links to everywhere else, uh, all of the places you can subscribe. Uh, The next show we will be doing from New York City. It will be Fight Week uh, and myself and Mr. Sandu will find an appropriate location to record uh, the next edition of the Brit Pack as we give you the essential preview uh, of UFC 205 as we do every week with a distinctly British flavour that was episode 15 of the Brit Pack thank you so much for listening enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll speak to you from New York City next week